welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. Romans chapter 5 today, if you want to turn there. We have been in a series called Fixer Upper, and we have started looking at the old TV show, or it's not that old, the TV show Fixer Upper and the process that the house undergoes where you take an old, broken down, unlovable house, and a carpenter comes in, and he works on it, and he makes it something amazing. Now, as we've looked at this process of Fixer Upper, it is a perfect picture of what Jesus Christ does in our lives. He takes somebody who is broken, someone who is sinful, someone who is unlovable, and he comes into our life and he transforms us into something incredibly special. Just to recap the last couple weeks, when you start with the fixer-upper, the first thing you have to do is identify that the house has problems that need to be fixed. You can't fix things that you don't think are broken. Therefore, the same thing with Jesus Christ with us, we have to look into our own selves and we have to identify that there is a problem in mankind. There is a problem in you and me that needs to be fixed in order for us to get to the answer, which is Jesus Christ. We find that problem in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve first sinned, when they first disobeyed God, and it all centers around one core concept. Satan came to Adam and Eve, and he tempted them with the ideal that you can be your own God. You can determine your own right or wrong. And since that time, every human that has walked the face of the earth has walked the face of the earth thinking that we are our own gods, that we are in control of our own lives, and that we get to choose what is right and wrong. Well, that brings us to the second step of a fixer-upper. If you're going to take an old, broken-down, wore-out house and make it something special, the first step is all of the bad and all of the ugly has to go. In the fixer-upper TV show, that's called Demolition Day. Chip Gaines gets his sledgehammer, and he goes in and he rips out everything with a passion that he doesn't like about the house before he can rebuild it. Jesus Christ will come into our lives, and he will rip out the bad and the ugly out of each one of us. That, that is the premise of the entire point of what he does is to take the bad and the ugly and put his spirit back into us. Now we talked about that last week that as he removes that undesirable part of us that wants to be God, the, um, the point of the story shifts. The point is no longer about me and you and how ugly and horrible we are. The point now becomes about how skillful and how loving the carpenter is as he comes in to change us. Today I want to talk to you about the next part of the story. It's called the reveal. Now I asked you guys last week, most of you have seen Fixer Upper, is that correct? The whole, the whole TV show comes down to one moment and it's the reveal. It's the moment when you see all of the work that went into this house and you get to see the transformation that it makes. They, they take this family who has bought this house and who has helped design this house and they take them and they blindfold them and they walk them out in front of the house and when they take the blindfolds off there's a giant picture in front of the house. It's about 10 foot tall, 20 and 30 foot wide and the people are looking at this huge picture of what their house used to look like. They see the ugliness of it, the brokenness, all the things that they hated about it. But in just a second, they say, are you ready to see your house? And they move that picture. And what you see now is the new creation of what has been fixed up. Now, the point that we like about that is everybody watches the show to get to, to that point because we like to see the contrast. We want to see what the house was, and then we want to see what it has now become as it is a new creation. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that when we go through this process, when God begins to working in us, 
there is a contrast in who we were before and who we are now. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, I know I put you in Romans 5, we're getting there, give me a second. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. We become something new when Jesus Christ comes into our life and transforms us just like those broken down, ugly houses. I was speaking this week with a lady and she was telling me about some family members and we won't go into the details, but she said, Brian, we, we really suffered with these family members, the hardships they underwent, the decisions they made, the problems they got themselves into. And she told me about this long story of her family members. And then she said, but today it's different. And she told me about how her family members were today. And then she said this, you know what the change was? The change is when they came to know Jesus. There was a change in their life completely. And there's a contrast from the before to the after. Now, you and I, as a Christian, we don't go through a reveal process when God comes in and transforms our life. We don't have this moment where we stand behind a screen and say, look, at who I was and then they pull the screen open and say look at who I am now that doesn't happen to, for us unless maybe it's the moment of baptism when we publicly profess, or profess our change we profess our transformation but we do go through a transformation and it is visible in our lives where there's a contrast between who we were and who we now are and I believe that God reveals us to the world every week when we walk out of these doors when, when we go out of these doors, when we come to God's house and we learn about him and we strive together to grow and we step out of those doors, the world is looking at us and they want to know what is so different about you as compared to me. That is our reveal moment. We are a walking billboard for Jesus Christ. So I guess the question here that we get into is, if we are a new creation... What does a new creation look like? What, what is the transformation? What, how do we compare to who we were? And the answer to that is found in Romans chapter 5. So if you're there, Romans chapter 5, we're going to read verses 1 and 2, and we'll come back in a minute, so leave your Bibles open. Listen to what Paul says here. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access to faith and to the grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So what does this new creation look like? What, what is different about us once we come into contact with Jesus Christ, once we go through this transformation? Well, the first thing the Bible teaches us is that we are justified. That is one of our favorite words as Christians, that we can stand before God justified. The whole point of the story when it comes to us is we look in a mirror and we say, I have sin in my life. I am guilty of competing with God. I am guilty of being in conflict with God. And we look in the mirror and we look at ourselves and say, if I have sin, I have a punishment for sin and I carry that on myself. But the Bible teaches us that when we become a new creation, when we make that profession of faith, when we, when we let God work in our lives, while we are guilty of sin, we are not um, responsible for the penalty of that sin. And that's what justified means, is that we are still imperfect, but at the same time, we are no longer um, we no longer hold responsibility for that. When we have that demolition day transformation, there's a transference of our guilt. Jesus Christ takes that on himself. So instead of being in front of God, being found guilty, we are found justified. The guilt is no longer ours. The punishment is no longer ours. Now, it would be easy for us to say, okay, I'm going to go through a transformation where I'm going to make my life better. Isn't that what a lot of people in the world want to do? I, I need a transformation in my eating habits, and so I'm going to try to eat healthy 
healthier. I need a transformation on the people that I hang out with, so I'm going to find new friends. And we put the responsibility on ourselves, but remember, this isn't a story about us, the creation. It's a story about the creator and the carpenter. So when we ask, how are we justified, the Bible tells us in verse 1, we are justified by faith. See, this is a story of the skills of the carpenter. It's not about our works. And we talked about this last week. Faith, a picture of faith is very simple. It is a belief in our heart that Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Now that presents a problem to somebody who wants to be their own God, who wants to make their own morality, who wants to be in charge of their own destiny. If Jesus Christ is God, how can I be God as well? And so we're put into this conflict of am I God or is Jesus Christ God? And then what we learned last week is that there is a confession. There, there is a ideal, not that I have to tell God everything that I've done wrong, but I have to come to a point in my heart where I admit I am not God. I am not my own moral authority. Jesus Christ, because he raised from the dead and I have proof that he is God, he is the moral authority. And that is the moment when we have faith in him, when we have belief in him and we become a new creation. Secondly, it tells us that we have peace with God. Remember last week we talked about the fact that we are in conflict with God. We want to be God, but he is God. And we talked about the ideal of needing to surrender, needing to wave our white flag and say, God, I desire peace with you. I don't want to be in this conflict anymore. The price is too great of me competing with you. And so we raise our white flag, we surrender, and we say, you are God, not I. Well, peace with God simply means an absence of that conflict. There, there is a time of harmony. There is no conflict between us and God like we talked about. Now, we might also need to talk about what does peace with God not mean? Because as humans, can we get a little confused from time to time about what things mean? I can. I don't know about y'all. Uh, let me tell you this story. Um, of course, Jessica and I have been celebrating Oakley, and I am trying my hardest not to come up with a baby story every week, but this one's too good not to share. Um, on the day Oakley was born, all the family was there, and we had um, a little bit of a hard time getting there. We got there a little late, so it was a rough day for me personally. Jessica didn't have any problems at all, but me personally, I had a rough time. We were at the hospital, and of course, after the labor was done, we had our baby girl, and there was a time when we got to hold her and just spend some time as a family getting to know her for about an hour or two. And then they came and they took her to the nursery to let Jessica rest and, and me, I needed the rest more than she did, to let both of us rest. And so Jessica with some family in the room, she rested. And I drifted out to the waiting room where all of the family and our dearest friends were out there waiting and celebrating with us. I noticed something that has now become a habit in our life though. Nobody was worried about me that day. Everybody wanted to know about that new baby. And apparently that's just the way it goes from now on. I don't exist anymore. But as I sat out there with my family, I noticed that all of the new grandparents kept drifting back and forth to that nursery window and staring in there for some reason. I couldn't figure out what it was. So I walked over there and guys, you could feel the moment. These grandparents, Jessica and I both are only children. These grandparents have just got their first grandbaby, and I can't imagine the hours they've spent thinking about holding a sweet, precious young baby, holding her and cuddling her and feeding her and kissing her and bathing her and all the things that grandparents want to do. And they were so excited because in this moment, they were realizing for the first time that they did have this child. And so they were standing at the window staring at her. And so as I walked over there, knowing what they were doing, they were having discussion, and, and guys, there she was perfect. Off to the left of the window, this little baby girl. 
and they were talking about how cute she was. There were 10 babies in the nursery that day, but this one was the most perfect, and this one was the most precious. This one was the most beautiful. And they were having this discussion about how pretty she was, how perfect she was. She's got her mama's nose. She's got her daddy's cheeks. This huge discussion. The moment was perfect, except for one thing. That wasn't our baby. They were looking at the wrong child. No, see, the perfect, precious, sleeping, quiet little baby off to the left with her mom, with Jessica's nose and my cheeks, I don't know where it came from, but it wasn't ours. Ours was the demon-possessed red screaming one off to the right. And uh, this little baby over here may have had Jessica's nose and my cheeks, but that one has my bad attitude and her mama's temper. And I, I gently tried to tell the grandparents who were so excited about how perfect this baby was and how quiet she was being, I said, uh... That's ours. That one over there. <laughs> the, the angry one <laughs> that's trying to tear down the hospital. And I'll never forget this moment. Jessica's dad looked over there and he goes, no, I don't think that's her. <laughs> we went back over here. <laughs> the point of it is, is when you have a preconceived notion about who you're going to meet, it can lead to a case of mistaken identity. And sometimes our preconceived notions of who or what God is gives us a case of mistaken identity and a misunderstanding of what it means to have peace with God. The misconception number one that we have is we tend to look at God and say, God is love and God loves me and we have this misconception. God is here to serve me. And we go into our Christian life with this idea that God is like some kind of a genie that when we need something, we rub the lamp and we get three wishes and we say, God, I need you to fix this, 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 and this. And then when we're done with him, we put him back in the lamp and forget about him. And so many Christians live that way. And because they believe that God is here to serve us, this gives them a mistake of what peace is. And they believe that God wants me to do whatever I want, whatever makes me happy without fear of punishment or without having to change. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, that is just not true about God's nature. God is coming into your life to transform you. As a matter of fact, I'll put it this boldly. If you have not been transformed by Jesus Christ, you have not met Jesus Christ. It's, it's not an option. But sometimes we get just a little bit mistaken on that. See, when we go to God and we're in conflict with him, it's like we're in war. And we raise that white flag, and we learned last week that raising that white flag is us going to God and saying, I desire peace with you. And when we get that peace with God, we cannot have peace with the enemies of God. There, there is no circumstance in history or in any conflict where I can be friends with you and be friends with your mortal enemy. And, and the mortal enemy of Jesus Christ and of God and of holiness is the evil in this world. And we as Christians, we have to be able to stand up and say that God is love. God does love us. God is there for anything we need. Take your burdens to God. But God is not here to serve us. And God does expect change from us. See, we can be tricked into thinking that peace with God is doing whatever we want and not being punished for it. James 4.4, 4, and I'm going to paraphrase this, says this, that friendship with the world is conflict with God. If we go to God and say, I desire peace, we can no longer be friends with the world. We can no longer, <clears throat> we can no longer live the exact same way. And that's the whole point of what God does in us. He starts to remove the bad. He starts to remove the friendship with the world and our desires for sin so that we can be closer to him. When we surrender to God, we make a choice. I'm turning my back on this old friendship with sin and evil 
to have peace with God. The, the second mistaken identity that we sometimes get is we get this idea that God is hiding around every corner, that he has demands and rules for us, and he is trying to catch us mess up so that he can punish us. And therefore, we go through life with this fear of what I may or may not mess up with. And we think that he's looking for that. And so we go into our lives thinking, I've got to be perfect. And, and we misidentify and we say, that's what peace is. If I can be perfect, I have peace with God. That's also not true. That's not what God demands of us. He doesn't demand perfection from us. See, if you continue to read through this verse, it says that we stand in grace. And grace, for all the terms we could put on it, here's what grace really means. It's unconditional love at its basic and most purest form. Try as I might, I beg Jessica, can we take the quiet baby home? Nobody will know she has your nose and my cheeks. Can we take that one home and leave the screaming red demon baby here? Jessica was already attached, even though she was only two hours old. And she said, nope, we got to bring Oakley home. So we brought home a very ill-tempered, very independent, very um, unhappy baby for the first few weeks of her life. Now, you wouldn't know it today. She's as sweet as she can be. But that first month was hard. <laughs> I needed some prayers. You can, you can pray for me in retrospect if you want to. We brought this baby home. And she screamed all the time. I, I didn't think I was going to survive this. And through the entire pregnancy, my fear was this baby is going to scream in the middle of the night and I'm not going to be able to sleep. I don't know why that was my fear. And so when we got home, we had this ideal that for some reason the child can never go unattended, not for a second. So at midnight, Jessica would come wake me up, and I would do the midnight to 3 o'clock shift, and I would just sit beside the crib when she was sleeping, or hold her. And then I'd go wake Jessica up at 3 o'clock, and she'd do the 3 to 6, and then thank God for grandmas, they showed up at 6 a.m. and let us both get some sleep. I have no idea why we were doing that. But one of those nights, in the middle of the night, at 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning, the baby could not be calmed down. I was carrying her around. I was walking around the kitchen. I was singing to her. In retrospect, singing to her might have been the reason she was crying. My singing is that bad. And I was bouncing, and nothing could console this child. This was the moment I had dreaded for months. This is what it's like to be a dad. Screaming child, can't fix her. I'm going to be miserable. But I came to this realization at 2.30 in the morning, walking around my kitchen, bouncing like an idiot. I came to this realization that I wasn't miserable. I wasn't upset with her. All I wanted to do was comfort her. And this fear that I had of having this child had been unwarranted. And I, I swear to you, I think God revealed this to me or said it to me or something. I don't know. I was sleep deprived. In that moment, I felt God go, that's how I feel about you. When you cry and when you need something, it's not a burden to God. When, when you mess up, he doesn't just unlove you because if you're a Christian, you belong to him just the same way as that little baby belongs to me and many of you have your own babies that belong to you. It doesn't go away. It's unconditional. And as I got here this morning, I'm, I'm going to admit one of my biggest faults to you guys. As I got here this morning, I was preparing to preach and I, I was praying over this and I just, I was overwhelmed with this. Is I, can't, I can't talk about this because my biggest problem is I strive for that perfection. That's my definition of peace. Even as a pastor, I still try to be perfect. And when I fail, and I was dealing with some failures over this weekend where I had failed to be perfect, I look at God and I say, I've got to hide from you because you couldn't love me if I mess up. And that is not correct. 
but even I deal with it. We, we get these misconceptions that we find peace in perfection. But this is, this is what the Bible tells us. Jesus Christ gave us access to this love. It says that we have this grace, this unconditional love, and we stand in it. But, but it's not physically standing because it, when we say we stand in something, it's like there's this circle of God's grace and we stand in it. The problem with that idea of standing in grace is what if I wander outside of the circle? Have I run away from God's love? That can't happen. See, the word stand doesn't mean to stand in a physical position. It's a legal term that means that you have a standing, like you have a standing in a court case. You have innocence in a court case. You have standing in a court case against a neighbor. That, that's the legal term that's used here. And so when we stand in grace, what it actually means is we have a legal claim to God's unconditional love because of Jesus Christ and the work he did in us and the work that he did on the cross. And Christians all over the country, including me, including probably some of you, we get into these misconceptions of who God is. We think that God is here for our desires and I can live however I want and he's going to be okay with it. Or we think that God is looking to get us and punish us and I have to be perfect all of the time. And neither one of those are true. See, there's a mixture of personalities about God. God is holy. God is just and God is here to transform and to change you and me. When he comes into our life, we will not stay the same. It is not an option. There is that side of God. But there is also the unconditional love side of God that when I mess up and when you mess up, he's not walking away. He's here to love and to comfort us. And when you come into a contact with that kind of love, it changes you. Some time ago, we took the youth group to, uh, how, how many of you know who Tim Hawkins is? Anybody know Tim Hawkins? A few of you do. Uh, Tim Hawkins, is a, he's a Christian comedian. He's hilarious. We took the youth group to go see him, and um, he will make you laugh so hard you will hurt, literally. But in the middle of his show, he took time out, and he just shared some things as a Christian that he wanted his show to be more than about making people happy and more to laugh. He wanted to just share from his heart, call it preaching, call it teaching, whatever. And, and he said a quote that has stuck with me for years. He said, so many people are worried about being on fire for God. That's not the point. The first point is that God is on fire for you. And, and if you're here this morning, God, or if you're not here, I guess as far as that goes, God is on fire for you and me. He loves us so unconditionally that nothing we're going to do is going to outrun him. There is no sin that is bigger than God's grace. When we come into contact with that kind of love, it changes you. Have you ever heard the stories of the boy who was wild and crazy, and he did everything wrong all through the weekends, up until the point that he fell in what? Love. Fell in love with the perfect girl, and being in contact with her and being in love with her changed his outlook on life. It's like a Hallmark movie, like all Hallmark movies kind of come down to something to that effect. It's the same way when we come into contact with the love of Jesus Christ. It will change you, and we don't, have, <clears throat> we don't have a choice. The most prolific thing ever built on the face of this earth was a cross. It, it's a symbol of death. It's a symbol of torture. It's a symbol of oppression. It's a symbol of everything bad in the world. But it only took that cross one moment of contact with Jesus Christ. And we don't see the cross as a symbol of death anymore, do we? We see the cross as a symbol of hope. If one moment of contact with the Savior can take a piece of wood and turn it from a symbol of destruction to a symbol of hope, what can a moment of contact with you and I 
and Jesus do to change us and who we are and what we become. We do become a new creation. Let's read verses 3 through 5 because being this new creation, being justified, having peace with God changes our hearts and it changes our mind. Let's read what it says that this changes in us. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. There is a different in experiences when we are transformed by Christ. Look at this. It says, we glory in tribulations. Well, what does that even mean? We might not be able to define that, but I can tell you two things about it. Glory is a positive word, and tribulation is a negative word, and those two things shouldn't go together. And when we come into this transformational love of Jesus Christ, it says that we will glory in tribulation. Now, let's talk about what that means a little deeper. Tribulation is a real and a current problem in your life. I think we've all been guilty of this. We wake up on Sunday morning and we're getting dressed and we hang that little pinky toe on the dresser. You guys ever done that? And the first thing that we think is, oh, Satan's working hard today. That is not tribulation. That, that is not real and current problems. But when we go through life and we find ourselves persecuted or we lose a loved one or we experience health problems, when we lose something that we think we needed and we loved, the Bible says this, in that moment we will glory in it. That means we will have an unexpressible joy in that moment. What kind of a person has joy in the middle of a real and a current hardship? How, how could you feel joy in that moment? It goes on to tell us that we know something about hardships and we know something about tribulations. It takes us down a chain here that tribulation brings us, builds patience, patience builds experience, and experience builds us hope. And what all of that means without going into every single word is that we know that when we experience hardship that it is going to bring us closer to God. And because of that, our desire to be closer for God trumps the current problems that we're experiencing. Because we've experienced his transformation. We've had that moment where we were transformed. We were something old and ugly and broken. But coming to know Jesus Christ, we are a new a new creation. So our desires have changed. Listen to this. Here's the point of Fixer Upper. We take human beings who wanted to be their own gods who wanted to have their own morality, to do things their own way, be in control of their own life. And the transformation is so radical that someone who spends their entire life being their own God now comes to the point that says, I am willing to experience hardship to be closer to the true God. That is the transformation that God does in us. It's a heart change. It's not about how we look. It's not about how we dress, the words we say, the building we attend. It's about our heart and our desires. I no longer desire to be who I once was. I want to be who God is making me. Uh, every day we should wake up hoping to be more and more and more the person that God has called us to be. And if we don't experience that, I have to think that one of two things has happened. Either we have drifted so far away from God that we are flirting with trying to be friends with the world again or that we never knew Jesus Christ in the first place. And so I want to ask this morning, Brother Danny, I want to ask this morning to all of us, have we experienced this heart change? Have we experienced this moment where Jesus Christ came into our lives and he transformed us, where we were something at one time, but when we came in contact with Jesus Christ, we've been different ever since. 
You can't say that for me and I can't say that for you, but we can all look into our hearts and ask that question. Have I had that moment? 